This is a founding media podcast produced at Austin Community College District. Welcome to episode five of Science in the Mall, y'all. I'm your co-host, Dan Dillard. Previous ABI intern, Marcy McCollum, is back again on the podcast, joining Nancy and I alongside her supervisor, David Medina, who is the upstream processing manager at XBiotech. Marcy and David explain exactly what upstream processing means, get into the details of their day in the life of at XBiotech, and even share some funny stories from their time working in the lab together. They talk about how they use their unconventional education backgrounds and combine them with good attitude and eagerness to learn in order to thrive in their fields and what they look for in someone's character when they're hiring at XBiotech. This is a great episode for anyone starting to apply to jobs or considering how they can build their resume to become candidates for the exciting bioscience opportunities in Austin. Let's get to it. XBiotech, what is it and what's upstream processing, David? Oh, XBiotech. Okay, XBiotech is, uh, of course, in the name, a biotech company. So we focus on, uh, for the most part, uh, human monoclonal antibody production uh, using uh, mammalian, uh, mammalian cell lines, specifically CHO. Uh, CHO cell lines uh, for uh, therapeutics of mainly oncology and inflammation purposes, uh, inflammation um, uh, diseases. I think you need to go back and translate that into English. That was like, way too horrible. <laughs> it's awesome. I understood it, but I think like there was yeah. a whole lot of terminology in there that we speak and most people don't. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So basically we take cells. <laughs> cells uh, yeah. We, we, okay. Yeah. We have cells uh, coming from uh, Ch- Chinese hamster ovary cells, Cho cells, uh, and they're engineered to uh, produce a specific antibody. Um, you know, and uh, we take that, uh, you know, we put the DNA inside, inside the CHO cells and they produce a specific antibody for therapeutic purposes uh, to, um, to help with uh, some diseases, mostly oncology. My experience for the most part has been on oncology, but autoimmune uh, diseases as well, like arthritis and you know, things of that nature and uh, inflammation and inflammation uh, diseases. But in a nutshell, that's what we work on here. Yeah, and they are true human antibodies also. I was going to get there. I'm sorry. Sorry. Because everyone knows what that is. They walk around your house. They're true human. Yeah, so the, 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 the way they, uh, we select uh, the actual antibody here, uh, there's multiple ways to do it. Uh, one of them, is, uh, which is longstanding, is called uh, hybridoma, that you take mouse and you uh, cause an immune response to the mice, and then you remove the spleen, and then you start um, um, collecting antibodies there. But the way we do it here is actually from uh, human donors, blood donors, that uh, they already have an immunity response to a specific uh, disease. And uh, so we we will collect the blood, collect the blood from from a donor, and actually... uh, uh, find this specific antibody, so it's, so you bypass the the mouse immunization part. You bypass the um, the antibody engineering part that you have to humanize it. It's just because it's already true human. It's already humanized. Mm-hmm. It's from an actual human, so you already have the sequence of a f- human antibody. Then to rather than trying to get it from a mouse and humanizing it. So no removing a, of the spleen of humans, though, right? 
No, no. No queens were killed in the process of, of this. <laughs> it's just a little, a, a little prick to get the blood, and then uh, that's where we, uh, that's where, we, that's where it comes from. It just as a clarification, like when people, you know, when he was saying humanize, I mean, why, you know, autoimmune or like when you have transplants and stuff, and there's a, a reaction, it's because it's not self. And what he's meaning by that is that there's part of the antibody if it came from a mouse that would tell your body that it's not human and so and it doesn't work as well because it's not human am i am i right yeah correct Uh, so basically you know uh, mice are you you know they're we're mammalian so the genome you know the dna is pretty you know there's a good portion of it that is actually the same as far as mammalian but there's another part you know the the mouse part you know that we um that we have to basically remove and based upon a lot of the data that's been collected, we sort of kind of have a pretty good idea of where the mouse part starts. And then we just cut it from there and put a human. So we basically remove the, the mouse pieces and put the human pieces on it. Now, this is based on data, based on, uh, you know, uh, papers. But, you know, with the human aspect, if you're getting a, uh, the antibody that's already true human, uh, you bypass all that. So you save a lot of time and there's a lot of error that's, uh, that's not done because it's already human. And that's what that means to be upstream? Uh, well, that comes before upstream. Uh, that's, <laughs> all, that's all, you know, antibody engineering, actually checking the antibody. The upstream, it's already, it's already gone through cell line. It's already introduced into the mammalian cell line that we use here. And what we do is just like we produce it at a large scale. We manufacture the antibody in a large scale to be harvested and purified to be ready for use, like, you know, to go into a septic field, formulated to go into humans. So we make it at a mass scale, you know, at the end of our process of upstream process, it's still dirty. And then it goes down to the downstream process, which is already pure. It, it, it gets purified all the other whole cell proteins from the actual CHO cells is removed and it's just all you're left over with antibody on a formulation buffer that's ready to go inside humans to inject. So for clarification, first there's the extract, I'm going to call it extraction, but there's there's that portion of it, the medicine, and then there's upstream to mass produce it, but it's it still has to be filtered and then there's downstream that filters it and gets it clean before it goes out the door or before it gets quality controlled and goes out the door. Is that more or less the path? More or less, yes. Yeah. So we, uh, we, we mass produce the antibody. We mass produce the antibody at large scale and then uh, uh, downstream purifies it you know, and gets it ready. So they do a buffer exchange. They remove uh, the media that we use and they put it into a buffer that's, uh, that's ready to go into humans. You know, they, they, it won't kill them. <laughs> if you did it right, we need that community first. If we do it right, yes. <laughs> and and we do all this on site, on in our facility. We we go all the way from beginning of the the development of getting it into the CHO cell, transfecting it in, all the way to getting it into syringes and into uh, into uh, powder form. So you take the DNA out of the blood and get that into cells. That's the first thing is identifying the antibody getting that antibody and then we'll get it. We're like in the middle. Is there terminology for that? Uh, there was, but I can't think about it at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, it's not my department. So no, no, no. <laughs> uh, but we but also that, do a lot of yeah. the product development too. Um, the, see if the, what, yeah, if, see if we can get it into 
large scale production and what kind of variables to um, culture it. All that goes through us too. So is there such a thing as like finding one of these antibodies and there isn't a way to mass produce it? Well, there's, there's multiple, there's multiple uh, steps that needs to happen before it actually gets to us. Uh, for the most part, uh, Sue Yu, which is our cell line development, uh, she's the one that has the biggest headaches because mm-hmm. she has to, <laughs> she has to get the antibody. She has to get all this DNA, the sequencing, the insert into the Cho cells and try to find a good producer at that level before we get it. Um, so the, the biggest screening, the most screening happens at her level. She screens thousands and tens of thousands of actual clones before we can actually find a couple that are actually good enough to move forward and it comes to us. I mean, we went talking to all of you guys and talking to Marsha quite a bit. And I like, where did, have you always been an ex-biotech, David? And you, like, where's your role in this? Oh, no, I, I'm just, I just barely have two years here. But you're, the, but you're the, you run this department? Okay. I I don't like seeing it because I mean the collaboration that my uh, myself and my team have is so it's great, it's awesome. You know, I can't take credit. I, I uh Marsha, she's very instrumental, man. I, I can't survive without her. You know, and, and uh we, we depend so much on each other. I mean it's a great dynamic. Um, by title, I am the manager of the, of the group, uh, but everybody had a special role, and, and uh, we we pick each other up. But you got hired to do that role because you already were doing that. Uh, yeah, so I have prior here. I was I was over eighteen years, going on nineteen years of experience in upstream. Uh, yeah, I've been around the block a few times, and I've seen the actual <laughs> take. <laughs> I've he seen the process. Of knowledge. Uh, I've seen the processes evolve over time. Uh, the technology evolve over time, and you know you pick up things here and there. And um, you know, and put it all together. So, so yes. Yeah, so I've learned a lot over the over uh, over the years here, and uh, I guess that's why, with the experience that I've had, that's why I, I fell in the manager role here. I'm curious, um, what exactly the dynamic is like at your lab? What's the day in the life look like in the upstream processing? You know, we talked a little bit about that, and it kind of you know segmented out. But what's the day to day look like? Marsha, you want to uh, you want to answer that? <laughs> Um, First, it starts with Marsha cheer, cheering her way into the thing, whistling Dixie in the morning. Really well, okay, early, kind of, in the dark okay. hours in the yeah. morning. <laughs> yeah. um, well, for Upstream, it's because we're dealing with cell culture, they they pretty much they set the timeline for us. I mean, we can try to guide them, you know, by when we inoculate and when we passage as to pull them into our timeline. But overall, the cells, they call the timeline. So usually when I get there in the morning, the first thing I'm doing is, okay, this is what needs to be addressed today. The kind of the task, not so much, well, a task list, but not a task list, more of goals that need to be achieved that day um, when it comes directly with the culture. And then once that's kind of rolling then and we've done whatever processes, if it's a small process day, um, then we do have our, you know, our trending and an analysis of the data and, we do have a little bit of paperwork, but most of the time, all of us are like, you ready to go inside? Let's go inside. It's time to go inside. And we're ready to get into the clean room and actually do the, the whatever process it might be that day to get it started and see how the culture is developing and, you know, where the day is going to lead us because you don't know until that first sample what your day is fully going to look like. 
So everybody goes in at the same time. It's not like, oh, I'm in there and he's out here doing paperwork. And um, Sometimes uh, being um, that we are uh, GMP, we work in pairs. So there is always a minimal of two people in there um, so that you have uh, somebody who is completing the task, somebody who is verifying and signing for everything that you're doing. So there's at least a minimal of two people in there. And when we have big process days, we're all in there. And it takes all five of us to get that large process done. So it just kind of depends on what's happening on the day, which is what's exciting about upstream. It's like I say, until you take that first sample, you don't really know how your day's going to go. You can try to prepare for it, but you just never know. And that just makes the day very interesting. I mean, when you talk about a large uh, sample or what did you, is that the word you use? Like I, my recollection is you were telling me it's like a thousand liters or something ridiculous. We do like have that. a thousand liter reactor. Um, it does. Remember the little one in the lab that just sat yeah, on the table? Yeah, it was like table? a one liter. Right? Yeah. And then we had the, um, then we had the one that they, uh, uh, a reactor that they uh, did the E. coli in for the managed, uh, for the Good manufacturing idea. classes. Mm-hmm. Um, the one that we end up with um, is usually cost, Close to about 500 liters um, is, and then we sometimes run multiple reactors at the same time um, with this volume. Of the same thing, just like in tandem or as a bunch of different um, Yeah, things we've been known to have up to four reactors of the same molecule going on in one process room while we have another reactor in another process room going on while we're still in scale up of the small reactors in another room and then we've got some in flasks. So we've got them usually at all stages um, going on at the same time. Are you picturing a circus, Dan? Are you picturing these guys in their bunny suits running around from one <laughs> to the next? I want to hear a funny story from in the, in the clean room and it could be a win or it could be a. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <clears throat> so I have won the award for the worst sterile weld ever. So what it is, we have these, well, we have bags of media. Yeah, we have these bags of media and bags of supplemental feeds, and we connect them to the reactors via a sterile weld, which is a machine that will connect two pieces of plastic, two pieces of tubing, sterile weld them together, and then take the excess off. So now it's sterilely connected. The media is now sterilely connected to the bag. And it had been a long week. And I was working the sterile welder from behind. And then I did. And one, if you do make a boo-boo with a sterile welder, it's still sterile. You can just correct your mistake. So I so made a boo-boo. Just part of your finger welded into it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I made a boo-boo and I looked up at it and I went, oh, I connected the wrong thing. So I went back and did it again. I went, oh, and I corrected it again. I had three welds and then I finally picked it up and I sterile welded a circle. There was nothing connected whatsoever but excess tubing. And that's when they actually took a picture of it and went, you win. I mean, nothing, nothing happened because it's still sterile and you can't, like I said, you can correct your mistakes. But I was like, how the heck did I just stare well to circle? Maybe that was before my time. <laughs> yes, nothing was connected. Everything was still kind of sitting there and all the excess tube that I was supposed to be sterile welding off was now sterile welded all to itself. So, David, game on, man. You yeah. had a chance to, to take the title from <laughs> Oh, Lord. Uh, that never happened to me. Uh. <laughs> and I'd be happy. It has only happened once, and I will right. never be able to live it down ever. <laughs> I still get reminded of it in the when we're in the clean room. And I'm welding. Are you sure you got the right? Yes, I'm, I'm pretty sure I got this. <laughs> uh, 
Oh my God, I haven't, uh, I can't think of one at the moment uh, of, a, of a funny thing. They ever leak or like 500 liters pouring down the, <laughs> down the hallway? Uh, Hopefully never that far. <laughs> <no>. <laughs> well, we can, we can say about the blooper that happened that weekend with a 200 liter barrel tipped over. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> So as I say, the the media isn't always, you know, it's sometimes enlarged 200 liter barrels, Mm -hmm. 500 liter totes, all sorts of stuff. And you have to push it up onto a floor scale. And um, the barrel one, it did not want to go up onto the floor scale and it didn't. (laughs) And it fell right over. And one of the gentlemen that was right next to it when it was happening was still saying last week, I need new shoes. All I can smell is media on my shoes. (laughs) (laughs) David, I think the last time we talked about like the most challenging day um, that you guys have seen is kind of nicknamed it the Apollo 13. Can you talk more about, (laughs) more about that? Harvest day. I can't wait. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that was harvest day. What a day. Uh, It'll, forever be remembered as one. Yeah. Okay. Um, So this is a brand new process. Uh, The first time we're actually running it in a big, in a big scale. And uh, we have no data whatsoever to support how many filters we need to clarify this bioreactor. So we went as uh, we went and we put in uh, uh, more than what we usually use for a bioreactor because we had a previous process that, reached around the same cell cell density, but they, we had six filters of the stack, so the Paul stack filter, these are the clarification skit that we use. So uh, we made a determination, you know what, I believe, we believe eight filters would, would suffice. So that was the, that was the decision was made, and uh, definitely that came back really, that, that, that came to bite us in the butt, um, because that was clearly not enough for the viable, you know, the process, again, first time process, the pH went down, and which caused the viability, the viability to drop significantly, mm-hmm. and the lower the viability, the, the worse it is to filter. And uh, so we ended up uh, clogging that, clogging that first stack of eight, then we had to come and bring another five, you know, prepping up, I'm talking about this is like already in the evening. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, remind me, Marsha. Please interrupt if I'm if I'm wrong. No, um, the, we we started at seven thirty in the morning. In the morning, and we had our flow rate down to about one point six liters, liters a minute. minute. Um, What's it? That's normal. Yeah. Um, uh, in 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 a good day, with if everything goes perfectly, uh, our max is five point eight. Uh, five point eight liters a minute. Uh, we were going. Uh, we started higher. We started around. Or, you know, we want to start in the middle and then gauge it from there. Yeah, but we went down really low uh, because our pressures just went way high. And as I said, we got down to about 1.6 at about mm -hmm. 2 o'clock in the afternoon. And then we were down to about 300 mils (laughs) a minute trying to get this through. So you can't stop. You can't just leave it and let it go overnight and check on it in the morning. No. No, no, it has to be. Because we deal off of pressures, it has to constantly be monitored. Mm-hmm. And so we set up, and to set up a new um, set of, yeah, set up a new rack of filters takes autoclaving, new assemblies, getting everything in there, 
the getting flush. everything, yeah, getting it all flushed out, which takes an hour. Mm-hmm. Um, then getting the water out of the the flush that's in there out, and then trying to hook everything back up. So I think we finished at around eleven thirty that night. Yeah. I thought you were going to say later, based yeah. on what you just Well, described. no, that's when we finished. That's not when we got out of there. But that's about when we finished because now there's notes and stuff you have to write, clean up. And um, But the one thing I can say about that day is as wrong as everything went at every turn, we learned something new. Mm-hmm. And it was it literally was a victory for our team because we hung in there together till the very we, – we came in as a team and we left as a team. And we all went through it together. I mean, that's super interesting. I mean, I'm thinking of like, you know, maybe from David's perspective of like having to pick a team, like what are you looking for in people that they're going to stay and they're going to not have, I mean, you got to have a good attitude. You guys are laughing about it. I'm I'm assuming you weren't (laughs) laughing at the time, but I bet you you made the best of it. I bet you weren't like slamming things and cussing either, right? Oh, no. No. So, yeah, I would love to hear what you're looking for when you're assembling the right well, people for something like this. Well, when I first, when I, like I said, I was, uh, I told you guys before, I was very fortunate and blessed. I, when I came here, the team was as is, you know, we had the team minus one person. He's no longer here because he was with another company. But uh, the team that I had, I couldn't pick the better. I could not have picked a better team. It's not because Marshall's listening. Uh, it's just, you know, uh, it's, uh, <laughs> these, uh, my team is uh, very eager, very driven, uh, you know, uh, hungry to learn more and, and they just go getters, man. They don't, they don't complain too much, and, <laughs> and they don't complain too much. But no, I mean, I cannot, I cannot uh, honestly, I cannot have picked a better team. Uh, their attitude is very good. They're willing to go the extra mile to, uh, you know, to get things done, and not only done, just done right, you know. And um, it's, it's awesome. But um, you know, it's good to have skill and to know what you're doing. But the attitude goes a long way as well. You know, so you have to have both, you know, in, in my eyes, when I'm looking for someone, you know, yeah, skills is good. You know, skills is good. But if you have the, all the skills in the world and you have a bad attitude, nobody can work with you. You know, that um, that causes concern as well. So it, it's a it's a combination of both. Talking about teams, um, both of you in our previous conversations talked about an unconventional educational background to get into the industry. So curious what that's been like uh, as you progress through your career and also do you find that the industry has had biases towards people with like a four-year degree oh now we need to know their what their uh what was the word you used for um unconventional unconventional, yes um i have uh two associates um uh one is in uh general science and one is in uh an applied science and biotechnology and I do have to admit, um, XBiotech took a chance on me because most of the time they're looking for somebody who has a bachelor's. Um, but I'd like to say that I, I came in with my two associates, um, but I also came in with, as they, that, that want to learn. You know, I may, not, I may not know everything right now, but I'm willing to learn everything. I'll attest to that. Hmm. <laughs> Okay, my, my background is very unconventional. Okay, <laughs> uh, previously uh, before I got into uh, into biotech, I was in the technology. You know, I was doing networking, uh, networking. I did uh, even printing. You know, uh, 
offset printing, digital printing. So I was an operation. So, you know, that was my background. And, um, you know, I just got tired of the second shifts and all these things of that nature. And I saw a posting and it was uh, the company was Bristol Myers Squibb at that time. This is back in 2000. Yeah, this is back in 2002. So, you know, I applied for the position. I went in there. Again, my background is nowhere near what they were actually looking for, you know. But uh, what got me into the door uh, was basically the question, okay, what do you do as a hobby? That was a question that got me in the door. Imagine that. Um, because, you know, my hobby at the time, you know, those things change over time. Growing so, Joe's cells. Uh, oh, no. That's <laughs> <laughs> <It's> hobby. Right. <laughs> yeah, my hobby was auto mechanics. You know, auto mechanics. And back then, then you know, uh, big uh, single-use bioreactors was not a thing at the time. Big stainless steel bioreactors, you know, things that you have to take apart and put together, that was a thing. And uh, Bristol Myers at the time, that was their platform, large scale. So they think, okay, this guy is auto mechanic. He's good with his hands. He's not afraid to take things apart and put them back together. Mm-hmm. Okay, so uh, that, and also I guess they saw the attitude. I was hungry to learn, you know, and I answered some basic science questions. But the actual, you know, the, the guy that was looking for, because I was going to be more, more or less in the, in the large scale, dealing with the big bioreactors, and again, I wasn't afraid to to take things apart based on based on my auto mechanics uh, um, hobby. So that's what got me in the door. And uh, ten years, you know, go almost eleven years later, I was the leader of the lab at the time. You know, what was um, the position? Uh, I started low as a lab technician at the time. Uh-huh. It was a lab technician. That's what I applied for. And you know, I got in, but again, I was going to be dealing with the large scale bioreactors instrumentation. Uh, the instrumentation that is used to analyze the uh, the bio, um, you know the uh, the bioreactors like the Nova, the Nova back then was the Nova two two fifty. Right now we have a four hundred and the Flex two, but the two fifty. If I tell you how ancient that is, oh, oh my God, you'll laugh. <laughs> um, so so I was getting you know my my job was to get the instrumentation ready for the actual people to come in and do the the sampling. Mm-hmm. and also uh, deal with the large scale bioreactors, taking them apart, uh, doing. Uh, PMs on them, getting them ready for operations. Mm-hmm. So when I first got there, a week later, they, you know, it was a one big, huge clean room full of process vessels. These are stainless steel, stainless steel vessels, sort of kind of stainless steel bioreactors. At a five, there were five hundred liters, two hundred liters, things like that. So they told me, okay, I need you to do this. PM these things. It's like a whole clean room full of them, um, and uh, they had. Inside. Uh-huh. So is that, yeah, is that what you do? No, no, no. Taking them apart, they were not big enough. I didn't, I didn't fit. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, but um, so basically, what I did, I had to take them apart, change the gaskets, uh, inspect everything, put new things on it, and put them back together. The person that was there for two weeks before me would do like one at a day, two a day. I come in, I know, okay, I, this is easy. I did twenty six in a day. You know, yeah. <laughs> you know, and twenty six. Like I was writing a dissertation on you. Oh god! Yeah. So, like, so, yeah, so when I at the end of the day, okay, how many did you do? I, I, I did all these. Twenty. You did all that? Yeah, I did all that. No, yeah, I did it. Okay, so yeah. So like so we need to go inspect. You couldn't have done that. Oh no! Yeah, so yes, they did. They did go and inspect. So right. yeah, yeah. So every, every, everything was good. Everything was kosher. So again, uh, um, I guess uh, they were very happy that I was. There. Well, it and sounds so, like. Go ahead. 
Yeah, so, so uh, again, so it was uh, the team that, that interviewed me, took a chance for me based upon, you know, the attitude that I had and not necessarily the skill, but the hobby, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And that I was trainable and uh, here I am 20 years later, you know? So what degree do you have? Uh, it, it was uh, networking. It was sort of kind of, I have some certifications on networking, uh, all technology-based. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so I got so it. Sounds, it's, it sounds like it's, to me that even though the, the request, as Marshall pointed out, says like they prefer like a four-year degree, but it shouldn't deter you from applying because mm-hmm. there's other soft skills or other hobby skills that that they that can get you in the door anyway. So I guess the message being mm-hmm. heard here is as long as you've got the attitude and willing to learn and, and you can show that to them, go yes. for it. Oh, is yes. that true though? Like nowadays I always hear, you know, and I, and I don't know whether it's accurate, but there's like these, you know, algorithms that just, you know, go through everybody's stuff and weed everybody out if you don't have the right words. And, and so that like, if it doesn't have a four year uh, degree that they would just. I have a funny, I have a funny story about that. So, <laughs> <laughs> so basically uh, I think I told you guys, uh, I, I applied when I saw the position for Rex Biotech, it was like basically 1130 on a Friday about to be midnight. I saw the position and I was like, okay, um, of course I didn't, I didn't, um, you know, I didn't have the, the background as far as education as degree, but I had everything else. I had all this experience. And, um, so I applied, I sent my resume in or whatever. This is Friday midnight. All right. Monday morning, Monday morning, uh, my boss now, you know, he's looking at it. He, he's looking at the, uh, you know, at the website, trying to see if there's any applicants, any hits on it. And mind you, he posted that position Friday and I applied Friday evening, Monday morning. He's looking at it. There's nobody in my, uh, in the approved folder, but there was my resume was in the rejected folder. <laughs> it, was, it was an angry because the algorithm kicked me over to the rejected folder. Okay. So he said, you know, um, you know, I thank God, you know, he decided to read it. <laughs> he decided to read it. He was like, and then he was like, holy crap, this doesn't belong here. You know, so he took it out and, and he uh, emailed me that Monday morning at 10 a.m. Eastern time, which is nine. Usually his Routine here is 8.30, he comes in, he gets a coffee, he sits down. So by 9 o'clock, he's checking. So 10 o'clock, away, so that was the first thing he did when he got to his computer. That's when he contacted me. So, you know, but I found out that story that my uh, my application was in a rejected folder uh, when, I, when I was already here. Do you think it has <laughs> any effect on how they process them now? Like, do they, have they changed anything to make sure that doesn't happen again? Because I think what Dan said is totally valid. It's like, you know, there's just other things that you can write a job description and you can say, I need all these things and you're brainstorming. You're like, I need this. And you, but you know, people will not apply because they don't have all of them or, but they don't realize that they also have a bunch of stuff that wasn't listed there that this company is going to get that they didn't even know they were going to get. Yeah. Well, and I can so. say from my end um, for being in the hiring process is that even though the, search engine that we use for resumes, I always check both folders Mm. um, because you just never know what you're going to find. And even though the computer, the analysis is is rejecting it, I would say look at it anyway, because they took the time to Mm. apply You know, they deserve the right to at least read their resume and see what they have to say, especially if it has a cover letter on it. I think those are a good way to introduce yourself. And induce and 
introduce yourself with personality that you sometimes can't get in a resume. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Cover, cover letters say a lot. Yes, I know people always say they're not necessary. I'm like, oh my God, cover letter is all you need. Well, like <laughs> this is your chance to. Well, na- nowadays they do cover letters and then some places allow, allow you to record some answers. And so yeah. they'll ask some, some pre-interview questions and you just like record the answers. And so before you interview the person, you can read the cover letter and maybe have two or three of their voice answers on it. So you can kind of tell what the personality is like. And that's super important to, to kind of what we were talking about. Um, show the character of the individual just by how they answer their questions. Yeah. One of my interviews was like that. Uh, so basically, I sent in my resume and stuff, but I had to go on a website and actually not just audio record; it was actually a video. Yeah. So I was I had I had to and you know uh, actually answer some of the questions that you know I got an email. Okay, please answer this, and then um, I had to record myself. And if I made a boo boo, I had a, I had a chance to erase it one time. <laughs> <laughs> only have one one review for, for questions and uh, yeah, so definitely yeah, there I've I've gone through that as well. And in my previous company, when I I mean I had you know when I was looking, I was helping another department hire, uh, so I had to go through uh, the folders of the proof and also rejected you know to go through because sometimes you know uh, there's somebody that never rejected folder that you can make that could be a good fit. I do wish they would just sort of tweak the algorithm to not have as many, you know, like, yeah, okay, that's great. You guys will look at it, but some people won't. And it's like, Mm -hmm. I wish HR was actually, you know, iterating that and getting it better and better. Like, okay, we pulled this out. That's the third time this year that we pulled somebody out that had these things. Let's just change Change our, yeah. Yeah. It's, (laughs) (laughs) yeah, it's tricky. But, you know, there's probably a lot of people, I hope, that'll listen to this that are, you know, people going to the biotech program or people getting degrees at UT that have no idea what to do next, even PhDs, right? Like, and I I see it often, people trying to transition from academia to industry. And so I, I would love to hear, you know, your take on, you know, what kind of advice you would give those people? Like what other kinds of, like PhD students, like what other things should they be, educational opportunities should they be taking while they're working on their PhD or, you know, anybody? Any opinion on that? Well, I have to, I am lucky and fortunate enough that where I get to go to work every day, I still get to learn. Um, I still get to um, feel like I'm growing and so the only thing I'm missing from what feels like school other than lectures is the testing <laughs> and the stuff like that. You still get that feeling um, that you're, when you say you're learning, you're growing, you're still, even if you've got your PhD, there's still more to learn. Mm-hmm. Um, so to go into a work position with the thought that what can I learn today? Even though nobody's going to test you on it, nobody's going to, you know, give you a grade or anything like that. I just think if you just go in and say, I'm still learning and I want to keep learning, I think you make the transition really, really easily. Except for you still have to get your foot in the door. And so I'm not, and yeah, I'd be curious to hear David's answer on that too, just because, you know, you see people all the time that, you know, they don't know how to make that transition because you have to actually get the interview and you have to to get the job. <laughs> and, and that's where their personality and, 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 and 
this is where personality and their attitude comes in. You know what I mean? Because I had a boss, my, my first boss in, uh, well, uh, in, in Bristol Myers Squibb, he had just come out of academia as a PhD coming into, uh, to be my boss, you know, and, uh, the, the guy was awesome. I, I thank God for him every day, you know, uh, because, uh, he exposed me to a lot of different things but through him. I learned a lot because he took the chance. But the thing is, is he came in with a, with a, with a good attitude, a winning attitude. And uh, even though he had a PhD, he was in the lab. He was working in a lab, you know, because I've also seen the other side of it. People with PhD, they don't want to be in a lab. Okay. All they want to do is uh, go ahead and stay in their office looking at data all day. Okay, you do what I did. I already did my time. You know what I mean? Right. So. Yeah, I did my time and I don't need to do this. That's why I went to school because I don't need to do this because I don't want to do this. No, you got to come in with the right attitude. Uh, once you, uh, That will get you. Yeah, you have all the skills. You have all the necessary, but, you know, you need to get in here. You need to work on it. The attitude, that's where that, that's where that comes in quite a bit. You know, how, um, you know, if I can work with you or not. And I was like I said, so I was very. Think- go ahead. Go ahead. No, go ahead. I was just thinking of the skills and like, you know, in, in academia, like at the PhD level, you have a really specific thing that you've been studying. And so that's always the tricky part is like, do you have the skills? Have you ever done, you know, by manufacturing or have you ever done, you know, besides in a 200 mil flask for, you know, your bacteria that you're doing or whatever? <laughs> um, well, I, again, you know, some things, uh, it's nice to have, you know, like I said, so, so culture background, know how you're doing a septic technique. Cause, um, I had another manager. <laughs> this is, the, this is the last manager before I jumped, uh, Bristol Myers Squibb. Uh, she had a, um, she had a postdoc, you know, she had a postdoc, this lady, you know, whatever, but she did not know what a bioreactor was. She did not know what anything does. She didn't even know how to make media. You know, she, uh, it, you know, it, nothing. But then again, you know, I mean, she didn't have the proper attitude. Now, I ended up, for the most part, as much as I, you know, like I said, since I was the lead of the lab at that time, you know, okay, this is a bioreactor. This is how we put it together. This is how we run. This is how you control it. This is, you know, what we're looking at here. So I'm teaching her the whole thing. So she was, in the beginning, she was very receptive. But then she just turned around, did a full 180 on me, okay, and became very snappy, you know what I mean? Mm. So, uh, but again, you know, there's things that you can actually learn coming in, you know mm. what I mean? Uh, you can learn, you know, like I said, I came in not knowing anything, right. you know, and I was able to learn fairly quickly, you know, but uh, again, you have to, you know, you got to have the right attitude. That's why I, I emphasize the attitude uh, just because, um, you know, personally, I think that's one of the things that, uh, uh, has me where I am in a sense, you know, basically the go-getter attitude. If I don't know it, I will learn it. You know, I will get things done. I will solve the issue. You know, uh, that attitude, I think, uh, will get you uh, pretty far as well. Nobody wants to work with somebody that, that thinks they know it all and they don't know anything. No, well, you mentioned we it before. don't. It's, it's, it's <laughs> the team. That, yeah, right. You mentioned it before. It's the team that you build. It's, it's, the, it's the amount of time that you spend with them. So you definitely want good attitude, a, a good work environment and all that kind of good stuff. This has wow. been a wonderful uh, conversation. We have- Are you guys hiring? <laughs> <laughs> Not for me. I'm just thinking, you know, I've got people yeah. coming through. They're always asking yeah, me. X-Biotech yeah. always comes up as one the, last, you know, what job One last thought, though. Um, I was doing an interview with a gentleman that actually works with us now. 
And, you know, he was finishing up his bachelor's. Um, he was also an athlete. And I asked some of the questions I asked him were based off his sports that he played because mm-hmm. it was a team sport. Mm-hmm. And so I asked him what his goals were with his athletic career. And once he told me that it was still very team oriented, he was like, well, of course I want to stand out, but you know, if the team doesn't win, then I'm not going to stand out. Right. Um, and so that was, that was one way to bring in his personality. Um, nice. And it was also, he had said, you know, my grades weren't the best. He goes, but I loved labs, always yeah. made great grades in labs, loved being in the lab, loved trying to do the experiments and, whether they failed or not, I loved them, and that's not so that I when I was looking to me that that stood out a lot too that he brought something from the outside of mm-hmm. how he works, and then something of his actual skills. Yeah, because it's it's about the person, it's about mm-hmm. who they are as, a, as an individual, and that's not necessarily the experience they've had in in a work environment before, but it shows in, in other areas. Because even if you've had that experience, you still have to learn it ex biotech's way or whoever's way, right? You still right. you know it but you still have to learn it. You still have to get trained just like everybody else. Mm-hmm. Cool. cool. Well, yeah, thank you great. all, Nancy, Marsha, <laughs> David. Thank you. <laughs> for the time we share today. We learned so much about, <laughs> we learned so much about what you guys do. Um, what's most important uh, in the actual work life and, and uh, work balance. And so uh, thank you very much for the time. We, we And just so know that, we also will be talking to people in downstream processing. So we'll hear the rest of the story of what, <laughs> <laughs> what happens when they go to clean all this mess that these guys make. Well, it's kind of funny with upstream and downstream. We treat it as, as septically as we can, sterile gloves. You know, we're just, we are just, but when we hand it off, they're just kind of like, ew. <laughs> but to us we're like oh my gosh that's so clean from where it used to be and you know yeah. we treat them you know so that we don't have any cross-contamination no bacteria mm-hmm. or anything but it's still once you get to them there's still there's still a lot that needs to be done right mm-hmm. it's a little Wonderful. cruder at that point thank you so much marcia and david for joining nancy and i on this episode of science in the mall y'all We learned so much about all the work that goes into developing and manufacturing medicine. And it was inspiring to get to know your personal journeys and learn how you ended up at X Biotech's lab. The importance of someone's attitude and character when it comes to the hiring process is such an important insight to have. And it's nice to know you'll have so much fun in the lab while doing such important work. Thank you so much for listening. And if you felt inspired by this episode, please share it with your friends. Tune in next time to learn the other side of XBiotech, downstream processing, and get more advice about securing a job in the biosciences. See y'all then. This is a Foundry Media podcast produced in partnership with Austin Community College's Bioscience Incubator, which is the region's only wet lab space in Austin's growing bioscience industry.